we write all of our own plans in-house and we've developed a, a unique way of putting the buildings together. So they actually teach people how to build. Uh, they are set up for the novice, the homeowner, somebody who does not know uh, exactly how construction goes together. They just simply know which end of the hammer to hold. And that's what these are dedicated towards. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 37 with Dominic Mangano from the Jamaica Cottage Shop. From the humble beginnings of building dog houses sold on the side of the road, Dominic has built a tiny juggernaut, the Jamaica Cottage Shop. Now, it didn't happen overnight, but now JCS is able to offer the pre-cut kit, which is a color-coded, part-numbered kit that allows you to build your own tiny home without having to know how to build or own any heavy-duty tools. Dominic has built a fascinating business model which really piques my entrepreneurial interests. And he has also been building tiny houses for a long time. And he has a lot of important questions to ask you before you build one of your own. Think of this as a reality check to make sure your plans match your needs. I hope you stick around for this great conversation with Dominic Mangano from the Jamaica Cottage Shop. But first, I want to give a listener shout out to Dave and Lori, who left the show a review in Apple Podcasts. Here's what they said. I find the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast with Ethan to be very informative and addicting. My only regret is I'm near the point of having heard them all. Well, lucky for Dave and Lori, I put out a new episode of the show every single Friday. And the best way to make sure you get each new episode is to subscribe. The Tiny House Lifestyle podcast is available through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, basically everywhere you get your podcasts. And I truly do hope you'll subscribe. And if you do like what you hear on the show today, please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help others find the show and they provide me with feedback and encouragement. Plus, you might just get a listener shout out on a future show. All right, my guest today is Dominic Mungano. He is the senior designer, founder, and president of Jamaica Cottage Shop, which was founded in 1995. With the meager beginnings of building dog houses on the side of the road, the company is uniquely positioned to supply tiny house kits across North America. He was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts, received a business degree from Green Mountain College in 1991, and lives in Jamaica, Vermont with his partner, Sarah. Dominic, welcome to the show. Oh, hello. Thanks uh, for having me, Ethan. You're very welcome. And thanks for being here. I'm I'm excited because I love interviewing people who I've gotten to meet in person, and we have definitely connected at, at several tiny house festivals. Um, but I want to back up from the tiny house movement because you've been at this for a lot longer than the quote-unquote tiny house movement has been around. So can you tell me more about the kind of founding story of, of starting with dog houses on the side of the road? I'd bring home scrap from work. I was working as a carpenter, and I did that all across the, the country. And after seeing 48 of the 50 states, I decided that Vermont was pretty nice. So I moved back to Vermont. I started working as a carpenter and bringing that scrap home. And uh, I knew that after I 
I had my business degree. I had one thing in mind was that I would not work for anybody else, that I would work for myself. So as I brought that scrap home, I did not know what I was going to build. I had two dogs, and uh, the scrap pieces were smaller, so it made sense. I said, I'll try to build a dog house. I built one, put it on the front lawn, it sold, and uh, it went from there. So um, did you go right into offering kits, or did it kind of grow on a natural course, like you went from dog houses maybe to sheds, and then from sheds to something bigger? There was a, a long transition. Now, this is well, well before email and computers. I would use classified ads. I was working in a 150-year-old dilapidated farmhouse in Vermont, right on the side of Route 100. And I had three acres there. Uh, in the early days before employees, uh, I worked out of the barn that was uh, slanted. It was always leaning. Everybody said I shouldn't be working in there. Then, then I started hiring people. As people started asking for sheds, I started to build sheds and hire carpenters to help me. We worked on three acres. I did that for 10 years until I bought my current facility just two miles north of my original location in Jamaica, Vermont. I bought the new space is in South Londonderry. Now, South Londonderry had an old sawmill, Smith's Mill. That operation went out of business in 01 after running for over 50 years. And they were wood manufacturing. So the place was uh, very uniquely set up just to doing exactly what I wanted. Uh, the old man uh, really took a shine to me. He said, I, I want you to have the, the space. So he was willing to hold the note. And so we were able to move into our current facility, which is right now 14 acres and 75,000 square feet under roof. When we did that, that's when we started developing the other formats of our designs. When somebody comes to us and they purchase one of the designs, what they're doing is purchasing it in one of seven different formats. Uh, that one that is predominant is the PCK, that is the pre-cut kit. Each piece is color-coded and part-numbered. So as we moved into the facility in, in the warehouse, we were able to uh, begin developing the cutlass. We write all of our own plans in-house and we've developed a, a unique way of putting the buildings together. So they actually teach people how to build. Uh, they are set up for the novice, the homeowner, somebody who does not know uh, exactly how construction goes together. They just simply know which end of the hammer to hold. And that's what these are dedicated towards. So what's the range in sizes of buildings that, that you're creating these days? Two by four, so uh, eight square feet is our smallest one dedicated towards uh, just a, a garbage recycling containment. And then our largest building goes well up over 2,000 square feet. And that is true mortise and tenon, heavy, beefy, eight by eights, uh, mortise and tenon. And those buildings there go out in a nice truckload and go out across the country. So we have a wide range of sizes, and each of the designs are set up for as a weather-tight shell. So they give you a starting point, and then what we'll do is put in the comfort features, whether that be insulation, four-season insulated doors and windows, and then some of the mechanicals, HVAC, electrical, and plumbing. So do those 2,000-square-foot homes, the mortise and tenon ones, can those be purchased as a pre-cut kit or do they go out as prefabricated buildings? 
they can be uh, purchased in any one of our number of ways that we offer the format for the design, starting from a DIY set of plans that you can download from the website to the frame only to the complete kit, and then we have our three-season package, our four-season package, and that building is not uh, able to go over the road in one piece, but that would be uh, another format that we offer. If you are here in the Northeast United States, we can offer that to you in a fully assembled uh, format where we can bring it and plant it into your backyard, uh, but not all of the designs are set up for that as some of them are too large to fit into the road guidelines. Got it. Um, are you seeing a lot of people using the pre-cut kits to, as a start for tiny houses? I am, yes. Uh, 80% of our work is in the PCK format. Uh, that is a very popular option. It's also very budget conscious and very economical. And what we'll do is we'll set that up for folks to be able to begin to put that tiny house together where they feel confident with getting that frame structure in place and then moving forward as time, money, you know, and the budget allows to finish off the interior. Got it. So you you provide a good shell and then people can finish them as they as they want or they can order those pieces from you. That's correct. They can do any of those format. We're willing to do as much or as little as they'd like. We have a complete design team standing by. I keep five to eight people on the phones each day to uh, handle the the different questions that come in. A lot of the times that the design team is simply educating and, and working with individuals to understand what it is that they really need and what is going to fit their specific uh, solution. Uh, a lot of folks just don't understand. For instance, one of the questions I like to ask, how often do you plan on moving your house? And why do you like to ask that question? It really helps us in understanding whether or not they're looking for something that's highly mobile, something that they can move and transport uh, by themselves. Uh, so more like a uh, travel trailer or like a traditional, like what we're seeing here now as a tiny house, where it is fitting into those guidelines of the uh, the road and the weight is conscious and it's all balanced and you can tow it with a, a pickup truck. But if you're looking for something that you may only move once or twice in the lifetime of the uh, building, then it may make sense to look at something larger like a wide load where the building can be picked up and moved. Now, whether that be on the property or over the road, that is what we do every day. Now, if you're looking for some other type of solution where you're looking for possibly more space or the flexibility to grow onto that space, maybe as the family increases in size, then we work with uh, individuals in that manner as well. Got it. So, and that's, I'm glad to hear you say that because I have a few articles on my website and I, I frequently advocate for people to look at structures that are built on skids rather than on a trailer for the exact reasons that you mentioned that, you know, if you're only going to be moving the structure, you know, once or twice in its lifetime, you know, laying out four to six or seven thousand dollars for a tiny house trailer, um, you know, you, you your money could be better spent elsewhere on the finishes, on the insulation, and then for that one or two moves, how would that work? Are you hiring Jamaica Cottage Shop to come and kind of pick the structure back up? Or is that something that you would find um, a dedicated 
trucking company to do? Well, we move our own buildings, so you can definitely hire us to do it. But the buildings, since they are on skids, a lot of companies can do that for you. As long as they know the weight, dimensions, and size, they'll be able to move that for you. Now, you, you made a good point about the added expense of that trailer. Uh, the other consideration is the lifespan of the building, and buildings that are on trailers tend to depreciate in value, where buildings that are connected to a piece of property tend to appreciate. So there's that longevity of uh, finances to consider as well. Sure, yeah, and that's that's something that is somewhat unfortunate about the tiny house movement. Tiny houses on wheels seem like they depreciate more like RVs or travel towers rather than appreciate. Uh, connecting them to utilities can be a challenge. Uh, we have come up with a nice little system of uh, we build a nice economical, affordable, pressure-treated box, and we bring up all of the utility lines, including the waste line and the fresh water line, connecting that to the main house for the winter time in the cold climates. Now that keeps all of the water and utilities uh, safe and secure as the weather turns and goes through the cycles and keeps it also protected from the, the critters or varmints. Uh, I usually do an access panel so you can get down in there. And additionally, what I'd like to do is put in a heat tape on that fresh water line so they'll confirm and have a little bit of confidence when that thermometer dips below zero. Right. So is that box then above the ground and kind of below the floor of the structure or is it under, you do bury it? That's a good question. There is a couple ways we've done it. I usually like to come up alongside of the building if space allows. You can come up underneath the building and use a trap door. It just consumes floor space as well as tight access. Coming up on the outside of the building and going through the exterior wall usually provides a little bit better access panel and be able to get down in there. Now that box should go down into the ground. Uh, ideally to collect that uh, fresh water line from wherever it's coming from, whether it's the well or a uh, the main house. Got it. It's nice to hear that, that you're thinking about this because getting water in and out of a, of a structure that's above the ground in the Northeast particularly or anywhere where there are freezing temperatures is a particular challenge, and it's not always one that people think about when they're thinking about living tiny. Well, that is something that we continue to educate folks on a daily basis to understand what their comfort level is. Uh, do they expect to have a flushing toilet in their tiny house? Uh, that is a very expensive option, and oftentimes I. Uh, I've been telling folks, it's not how much money you have or how rich you are. It's It comes down to how many flushing toilets you have. <laughs> well, I have zero in my tiny house. I use a composting toilet, but I definitely uh, understand that not everybody is uh, ready or wanting to, to have a toilet like that that requires that kind of maintenance. And we go through all of the different options from a five-gallon bucket and sawdust. That's a great solution if you can work in that manner. Uh, doing the composting and human manure, that's a fine option, although a lot of folks aren't into, they'd like to see a little bit of a cleaner option. So we step them through the different process and what it takes to uh, deal with a, a lot of this waste there uh, from the different solutions based on the budget. So we going to look at that overall budget and what those comfort levels. So 
to back up just one moment, what I usually like to ask of somebody who is looking to move in and build their own house, I, I tell them, what can you not live without? What is most important to you that you want in your house? So is hot water in a flushing toilet high on your list? Great question. And if it is, then then what what is it that we have to consider? Well, we're going to want to boost that budget up, and we're going to want to make sure that the, there is enough budget in the uh, project to cover a lot of these mechanicals. And so we want to forego on a lot of the aesthetics and decorative details that uh, a lot of folks come to us and say, oh, I want the stained glass, I want the round arch door. What we really want to know is the mechanicals, because they are uh, they can become pricey and, and consume quite a bit of that budget. So we really want to know what those comfort features are that you may take for granted uh, living in mom and dad's house. You want to take a look at that very closely and understand what the costs are of getting a hot shower and a flushing toilet. Absolutely. So I want to talk a bit about tiny houses on wheels, because I know I've seen... Um, a tiny house on wheels that Jamaica Cottage Shop produces, are those available as pre-cut kits as well? We are developing that, yes. Uh, so if you'd like to purchase the kit and uh, it, it's set up for our trailer that we uh, supply, um, and we can ship that right out over the, the country and you can put that together with a step-by-step plan. So we don't have that quite offered uh, on the website today, but we are working on it diligently and expect to have it for 2019. That's fantastic. That, that'll that be a nice other option for people, you know, who don't necessarily want to buy a completed shell because they maybe can't afford to, to pay for one, but, you know, they want a little bit more confidence and a little bit more ability to kind of just follow it step by step rather than having to do all the measuring and cutting themselves it goes a little bit beyond that and and confirming that when you're done that you're not over height or over width Uh, that 102 measurement is very important and anybody who who's looking for a tiny house should understand that it's drip to drip drip line to drip line at 102 inches eight foot six otherwise it'll become a wide load and require transportation permits when it goes over the road got it do you have a favorite design that Jamaica Cottage Shop sells? Well, the Vermont Cottage is very popular. It's been so popular that we've added three different options, option A, B, and C. Those are probably some of my more favorite ones, although I do like the Camp Alcove, just a very simple uh, three-sided camping shelter, very similar to the ones you see in the National Forest. Uh-huh. We do offer... Uh, the heritage design, which is an L-shaped building, it has a two different spaces for compartments, and and that's also a very clever design as well. Nice. And and do you have a favorite? I know I'm sure you've sold thousands of these structures. Is there one, you know, Jamaica cottage out there in the wild that that is your favorite? <laughs> the one that comes to mind, Ethan, is the one I built for myself. It was a very unique building. It was 10 by 10. It was a diagonal roof line with a steep 12-12 pitch. Uh, it was cantilevered out over the river that I built 
back in Jamaica. I was living in it. It was 100 square feet that included the porch, had a small loft in it, and I had my phone system in there with my computer. It was doubling as my office as I ran the business. Uh, that building there, uh, when, when we moved up here to South Londonderry, I grabbed it out of the trees because it wasn't attached, and uh, I brought it up here and I sold it off. And I think about that every now and again. That was definitely one of my more favorite buildings and definitely a good time of my life. Nice. So did you live in it or you just used it as your, as your office? Both. I was living in it full time uh, in between the building and the main house. So the main house had the running water. I had an outhouse in between. The employees were using it as well. Uh, so the, the entire yard, the three acres, was full of buildings. So it was an entire village. We had people stopping by, tourists constantly looking to wander around the little village. And now we've taken that little village and moved it up here to uh, a new area. And we have about 100 buildings that you can come in and peruse around. Oftentimes you'll, you'll find locals hanging out over here have, with their lunch. Checking out the cottages. That's right. So when... When somebody goes to the website, for instance, and, and orders a pre-cut kit, what happens at Jamaica Cottage Shop? Are you starting by milling trees into lumber, or where does the process start and end? Uh, that's another good question, and all of the materials comes here locally. 95% of the materials is, is being sourced here in the United States. The lumber is Eastern Hemlock. It's a, a green lumber that we use. And the uh, siding and the trim is a kiln-dried Eastern White Pine. Now that material that we buy is, we go through about a truckload of lumber a day. Uh, so that is um, coming in, we buy it from the brokers. We buy it already milled because it's more affordable that way. Then from the process, we run it through the shop, and what we're doing is building our own doors. We get our windows together, and we pre-kit the package with the raw material, the lumber, and then we send it over to the CNC saw. The CNC saw, the big saw, does all the cross-cutting, and that is the cut room. So inside the cut room, there's a team that goes ahead and does the process of taking all the pieces and matching up that cut list. That's where they are installing the labels. Those color-coded, part-numbered, each piece, each part in the building has a label that gets attached to it. It's part of our quality control as we uh, confirm that the, each piece has been cut correctly and it's inside the kit. Additionally, from there, what we'll do is we stack it in order on side, inside of a pallet. So on that pallet, as you begin to open up the package, you can start pulling off the top and building your project uh, because the, the first pieces you need are on top. Fantastic. How do the costs compare um, using a pre-cut kit versus, all right, I'm, I've got these plans and now I'm going to go source the lumber myself and then have to cut the lumber myself. How Can you talk about the, the cost both in dollars and time? There's about a 40% savings if you produce, if you purchase the kit rather than a fully assembled project. So there is a considerable value there in doing the kit. Now, 
the kits are quite popular and we do ship them around the nation. There is, it goes out with free shipping. So no matter if you're here on the East Coast or out in California or on the West Coast, it's going to be the same price to you. Uh, so there is no charge for that additional shipping. Now, if you're asking about what that cost savings is, now there is a little bit there to understand for putting it together, and each project is labeled with the uh, estimated uh, time it takes to put together. Uh, one person 10 hours or two people 40 hours, whatever it might be. And so you can go ahead and do your own cost comparisons on your own based on your local labor rate, if that's either your labor or if you're going to hire a local handyman. Now, a lot of these kits do sell quite well because people go ahead and take the material list. We give you that. You can go to our website and you can download the material list for free. Take that to your local big box store and go ahead and price out the lumber yourself and make your own decision whether or not it makes sense to purchase the kit. Most people do come back and, and see us thereafter. Right, because they, they see that with the wasted lumber, with the amount that they're going to have to buy, it ends up being a wash. A lot of these kits are set up for a homeowner, do-it-yourself, or somebody with very little experience. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense for a very experienced contractor to work from these kits uh, because they're already set in their ways and they have their own way of doing things. I tell most of my contractor friends, you can. I understand you can cut the part faster than you can find it in the kit. I understand that. But this kit isn't set up for those highly skilled people. It's really set up for those folks that just need that extra helping hand. Got it. So let's talk about um, the, the foundation a little bit more. Um, because for the homeowner, you know, they might not have access to a bulldozer or, um, you know, something to level out the ground for, you know, a tiny house or, or one of these one of these homes. So how do you um, how do you handle that? What advice do you give to people for how to prepare the site for their building? That, that's a good question, and it all goes back to how you want to live your life. What is most important to you? What is your comfort features? Do you expect to walk into this building, or are you going to drive into this building and park and? live and work with a vehicle daily. So what I'm getting after is that a lot of folks come to me and say, I want to be off grid. I want to be out in the woods. I'm going to be solar, collect my own water. And what they don't understand is this 10,000 pound building is going to have to be carried piece by piece up the hillside, around the corner and over the stream. So when you're looking at the uh, site preparation to answer your question, it all comes down to one word. Gravel, 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 gravel. You can't have enough of it. What you're looking to do is simply prepare the ground so it can handle weight and you want to distribute that weight over the ground as well as make sure that there is no water moisture collecting underneath the building. And gravel accomplishes both of that. So whether you're on a trailer or on skids or whatever it is that you're going to try to do, you're going to be looking for gravel, even if it's concrete piers or if you're going to use any type of concrete foundation, you're always going to want to start with that gravel. So you want to take a look to see how you're going to get that in there, whether you're going to wheelbarrow it in or if it's going to come in with a dump truck. 
the gravel it helps quite a bit in keeping the moisture away from the building high and dry as well as keeping the building from settling and sinking the gravel handles and supports the weight of the project much better than any type of other forest soils or topsoil that you might find on the ground okay so gravel Lots of have yeah. have you ever um, recommended or seen people use the kind of giant, I'm going to call them ground screws, like a big screw that then catches uh, a joist? The helical piles, yes. I have a, a building here in my yard on display sitting on these piles, and they look like giant screws. They're galvanized screws that uh, they have a, a specialized motor head that fits on an excavator or a skid steer and it rotates and spins that screw down into the ground uh, based on the amount of weight it's got a handle those guys will adjust the screw for you and the great thing about that is that you can use a very limited amount of gravel if any at all and it goes right down into the ground and if you want to pick up your building and move it you simply unscrew these and you can take them with you. It's like the building was never there. Now, the con of these helical piles is that if you hit ledge or rock, you're going to either pin it or dig that stone out, and you might run into some problems if the soil doesn't allow that screw to come into the ground on a clean basis. Okay, so you might be all set to use those, and then you find out that you know six inches down you've got solid ledge, and then you're just you're not going any further. Yeah, you might want to just check your ground. If if you see rock outcroppings of that solid ledge, uh, the helical piles may not be the best choice. Although that ledge is very firm, very solid, you can always pin it. And what I mean is uh, taking a hammer drill and driving a pin down into the solid ledge, and then you can anchor to that. And that will easily support any of the tiny house uh, structures. Great. Yeah. So that's, that's a really great option, I think, for people who are thinking about a tiny house on skids, but they might, they might move it. You know, there's an option where you can bring that system with you, hopeful and hopefully reinstall it, you know, provided that the ground is working in your favor in your next location. Yeah, there's a lot of advantages to having a building that can fit over the road guidelines. Uh, It can be sold off, it can be moved, it can be attached to another project. There's a lot of flexibility. A lot of uh, folks say they're just going to reposition the building and turn it into a guest house or repurpose it into a rental or maybe a studio. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I like to ask all my guests is what are two or three books or movies or just resources that have that inspire the work that you do that inform you know your design process or your just inspire you to do what you do uh, david styles he's one of the ones i found early on that gave some nice drawings of uh, small buildings and i really liked the way his format and display of information and i followed a lot of his suggestions early on and that was uh, back in the 90s uh, Currently, I'd have to say Deet is another one, Deet Peterson, uh, RelaxShacks.com. He has uh, put out a few books here and there. Uh, his latest one just came out here this month. Uh, I just got my copy, and uh, he's definitely got some unique ideas as well. Uh, those are the two that come to mind as, as, as you ask that question. 
Nice. And I, I also have Deke's new book and it's great. So definitely recommend that our listeners check that out. Well, Dominic Mangiano, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was great. Ethan, it was very good to be on the show with you. I appreciate your invitation and I hope to see you at the next Tiny House show. Thank you so much to Dominic Mangano from the Jamaica Cottage Shop for being a guest on today's show. You can find the notes and links to the resources mentioned in today's show at thetinyhouse.net slash 037. That will include links to the Jamaica Cottage Shop website, the particular models of cabins that Dom mentioned, and also links to Dominic's recommended book resources. If you enjoyed what you heard on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast today, I hope you'll consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help provide encouragement and support, and most importantly, they help other people find the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. So to leave a review, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash review. That will direct you straight over to Apple Podcasts where you can give the show a rating. And then you can also go ahead and write a written review. And this is what really helps people find the show. And in your review, you can share anything you want. You can talk about how the show is helping you. You can talk about your favorite episode. You can even ask questions. I've found some questions in the reviews that I've answered in past shows. So I do hope you'll take a minute to leave a review. And I thank you either way. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.